when Jesus rebukes Peter for trying to lead him away from the cross, we are reminded of our call to move through suffering as Christ did and to find the hope of resurrection in the face of tragedy. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Once there was someone who did such wonderful things and said such amazing things that people couldn't help it. They just had to follow him. And as they followed him and listened to him and listened to those amazing things he said and saw those wonderful things he did, they just couldn't help it. They had to ask him, who are you? Well, one time he simply said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. On another occasion, he said, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never be hungry. And another time he said, I am the good shepherd. I know all of my sheep by name, and they know my voice, so that when I call, they follow me. But on another occasion, he simply said, well, who do you think I am? And one of his disciples said, well, a lot of people are saying you're John the Baptist because you dress like him, you preach like him, you kind of look like him too. Another person said, no, people think you're Elijah, the great prophet, because you sure act like a prophet. And then finally someone said, I think you're Jeremiah. You say the same kinds of things. But Peter, very uncharacteristically, hit the nail on the head. And he suddenly said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, of course, said, and Peter, you are my rock. Well, Peter, of course, was one of the fishermen who dropped everything as soon as Jesus appeared. And he did follow him all the days of his life. But as we've heard today, there came a time when Peter got kind of confused and thought that Jesus should follow him. And he took him aside and he said, what is this? You can't die. You can't do that. These things cannot happen to you. No. He rebuked him. That's a pretty strong word. We don't know exactly what Jesus said, but I think he said something like, oh, Peter, don't tempt me to follow you. That's not what we have in mind here. In fact, why don't you get behind me, because that's the position when you want to follow somebody. And we don't know exactly what Peter said after that. Jesus didn't say all that many things to us. He didn't tell us all that many different things to do, but it seems like we always forget to have ears to hear those few things he said. He said, do not be afraid. He often said, give away your stuff. And he said, follow me. But like Peter, we have this illusion of control. And then when we glimpse the idea that it is an illusion, we're filled with fear. But if you look at any stretch of time in your life, you'll have to admit that you really are not completely in control. We might as well give it up to God because God's got it anyway. I think Peter's a really useful model for us as Christians because he always goes to trying to fix it and trying to be in control. And he never goes for the give it up to God. 
In last week's reading, Jesus gave Peter an incredible vote of confidence. You are my rock, he said. And sure enough, this week, he is Jesus' stumbling block. Well, as I was going about my merry way a little earlier this year, I had the feeling that everything was going right in my life because I was doing all the right things, and therefore the Holy Spirit was marching along right with me. And right about that time, three tragedies struck the three women who are closest to me in my life. My dear, beloved cousin, who's really more like a sister to me, had been married to a man for 12 years who was just absolutely a gift from heaven to her. She had been single for a long time, and she finally met this wonderful man. Well, the day before Thanksgiving, he was killed in a car crash instantly. Another very dear friend of mine hit the wall with her husband's MS. He suddenly could not speak or move. And lastly, my very best friend, my friend since childhood, was apparently losing the struggle she'd had with lung disease. She'd been struggling for a long time. Well, I drove out to Oakdale, which is where my cousin lived, to preside at the funeral of her husband. They had decided to have a two-hour vigil with the body in the small chapel where the funeral was to be. I had never done anything like this before. The body was in an open coffin in the front of the church, and his two children and my cousin and I were the only people there. For two solid hours, they alternated between going up to the coffin, talking to their beloved, touching him, weeping over him, and going back to sit in the pews in silence or to continue weeping, and then to go back once again. Well, I've never felt so powerless in my life to try to comfort them, to try to do anything. Fortunately, I didn't try to do anything. I just sat there with him, and it was a very, very powerful experience. The funeral, of course, was also a very powerful experience, and the reception was also very emotional. Driving home, of course, for those two hours, I was absolutely exhausted. But I got a call on my cell phone from my, my friend who had the husband with the MS. They were in the emergency room. Things looked very, very scary. She said, you have to come now to be with me. That very night, the sister of my childhood friend called in a panic, saying, my sister is gasping for breath. She's having continued panic attacks. Well, what can you do? I did what I could, but somehow this trinity of disasters brought it home to me just how deep my powerlessness was, just how unable I really was to fix it all. These dear friends of mine were going to have to have their crucifixions. My dear childhood friend was perhaps not going to make it, in which case I would have my own crucifixion. My friend whose husband had the MS might very well lose the love of her life as my cousin had lost the love of her life. What can you do? Well, apparently, it is inadvisable to do what Peter tried to do, to turn back the hands of time, to tell God what to do, but at least we can try to do what Paul, in his beautiful letter to the Romans, advised us to do. Let love be genuine. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer, no matter what. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
The best we can do, I think, is to try to overcome those tragedies that do come our way, those crucifixions in our life, and wait and pray for the resurrection that inevitably will follow. My cousin told me she's angry with God. I understand, I said, and you are in a time-honored tradition. Why did God do this to me, she said. I waited so long for happiness, and once I had it, God took it away. Well, I always shrink from giving God the credit of inflicting tragedies on us. I think that God grieves with us. I think that God gives the universe a great deal of freedom for many things to happen. And I think that God offers us infinite love and compassion to comfort us when these things do happen. God also, of course, gave us Jesus Christ as an incredible role model and roadmap of how to live in grace no matter what and how to comfort others who are suffering. My spiritual director recently was talking about the idea of the atonement, the idea that Christ died for our sins. She said that Jesus lived and died to show us the power of a life lived, suffused in love. He showed us how to live and how to die in love. On the cross, he forgave with love the very people who crucified him. On the cross, he gave his mother to his best friend in love. On the cross, he blessed and forgave the criminal hanging beside him in love. Often when I try to express an inexpressible holy mystery, I go to my favorite genius mystic, Rumi. Here's what he says about surrender and tragedy. Observe the wonders as they occur around you. Don't claim them. Feel the artistry moving through and be silent. There is really no need to grieve because anything you lose comes back in another form. And don't just ask for one mercy. Let them flood in. Let the sky open under your feet. Take the cotton out of your ears, the cotton of consolations, so that you can hear the sphere music. Accept your new good luck. Give your weakness to one who helps. Crying out loud and weeping are great resources. A nursing mother, all she does is wait to hear her child. Just a beginning whimper and she's there. God created the child, that is, your wanting, so that it may cry out, that milk will come. Cry out. Don't be stolid and silent. Don't be silent with your pain. Lament and let the milk of loving flow into you. The hard rain and wind are the ways that the cloud has to take care of us. Be patient. And I would add, Resurrection will come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 
1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org We wish you God's peace and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.